0: Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear.
1: Welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast, sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt. John Siegel here with EJ Wilson and Mike Ingersoll for our weekly Letterman's podcast. Guys, let's go ahead and talk briefly about the Clemson game before we talk about Georgia Tech coming up. And, you know, EJ, we were talking off air a little bit. Seems like you've heard from a a bunch of different people about the heels performance on Saturday. So what's the buzz that, that you've been getting about just how the heels came within so close of upsetting the number one team in the entire country?
0: Well, there were a couple of different reactions that I got from people. So uh, on the one hand, you have the people that were oh, I mean, that they were actually excited about us. And I think we have a, there's a new level of respect, especially, I mean, even though we did lose to app state one app state's not a bad program Two, there was, it was a close game. Just like every game we played in this year has been a close game. So, and I think the way we've come behind in the, uh, our first, our, our, our two victories, I think that's kind of setting the president. So, and a lot of the NC State alumni that I work with, they're getting kind of nervous. They thought we were gonna be a pushover uh this year. But I mean, working with a lot of engineers, you get though you, you, I get a lot from the NC State fans. And also, uh, I had I actually talked to a Clemson fan for about twenty minutes and he said the whole game he was nervous. He said he he hasn't missed a game since nineteen ninety one and he can't remember being more more nervous for an upset. So I definitely think that we made a statement with that. I definitely would like to come out with the with the W, but I'm very encouraged by the way we played. And if we can if we can play that way with the rest of the season, I think that um, we're going to surprise a lot more people in a lot more games.
1: And then Mike, obviously, it was a big time, just moral victory. If there ever is such a thing as moral victories in sports, but. I wanted to get your thoughts specifically about that final two-point play call, just to kind of hear it from your perspective as an offensive lineman. So break it down into the two components. Number one, what did you think about the decision to go for two? And then number two, what was your take on the actual decision to run that option play?
2: Well, uh, I guess I'll preface everything with, to the listeners, I apologize for the sound quality. Um, I'm having technical difficulties for a second week in a row, so I'm calling in on a phone. uh, So please... Uh, forgive us and forgive me and forgive Inside Carolina. I'm sorry for the for the muffled sound quality. But to answer your question, um, I guess, number one, what do I think about the play? Um, I mean, I think I have the same general take on it that everybody else has and everybody like that i talked to. EJ says he talked to about 75 different people at a conference in Asheville recently over the course of the past week about this. Um, you know about that game and about that play call, and I think I've had a very similar experience and it's it 's pretty universally held right now that the idea to go for two was the right idea i um, it was the right call, and everybody would make that call a hundred times out of a hundred, which I think Mac brown also said um it, then you know the flip the the second part of that unfortunately is that the play call wasn 't necessarily so i didn't i didn't love it um it wasn't it wasn 't necessarily the one that I would have called. Um, you know, to run a speed option against what is one of the fastest teams in the country defensively um, into the boundary is uh, you know it, you're running it into a sewer field and you have exceptional speed and defensive instincts on the other side of the ball. I you know I don't I don't I don't know that that was the right move. If you're going to run a speed option with a you know you got to have a speed quarterback and we don't necessarily have a speed quarterback. That's not what San is. Now I know what the thought was thought was, we've gone for two several other times this year. We've thrown the ball every single time. Let's try and catch him off guard. Well, the problem was Brent Venables apparently knew that Carolina was going to try to outsmart him that way and has coached enough football to know that, you know, you've got a young, flashy quarterback. You want to, you know, you want to sell on your new toy. And you're going to let him make a play because he got you there. So, you're going to put it in his hands and see if he can make a play. And apparently, according to Dabo, that's exactly what Brent told him during the timeout. So Clemson had us dead to rights on that from the jump. And if you watch the film, um, the entire defense sifts, and as soon as the ball is snapped, you know, they're they're all heading towards the sideline. They, they're all hitting the boundary. Everybody knows what's coming. So, I mean, that play was dead from the start. I think the better move probably would have been, you know, if you want to keep it in Sam's hands, run a draw, right, show him pass, which is what we've done all along, and then run the draw. I thought we were running the ball at them directly um, – Downhill pretty successfully throughout the course of the game and down in the red zone. I don't think that would have changed on the two point conversion, especially if we would have spread them out formationally, which we did. Um, and this is this is the consensus around several other former UNC line that I talked to today. Actually, um, you know that running running straight at them was probably the better move. So I would have I would have suggested running either either that draw or maybe even take Carl Tucker and run a shovel screen. Um, you know the old Aaron Hernandez, Urban Meyer tight end shovel at florida um you know we i'm sure Longo has that in the package go ahead and throw that in and, and, and see if you can't catch him off guard that way and if that doesn't work if you're not comfortable with a or b then you go ahead and go with c which is old faithful and just boot out and you move the pocket um and you get sand out in space and he can score with his legs or he can score with his arm but at least it gives some options and you know presumably it would theoretically it would give him some time and some space to make a play so I don't love the play call, um, but I am not the offensive coordinator, and I did not do the prep with those guys that week. Um, and I wasn't watching the film that they were watching, getting ready for Clemson and prepping for a two-point, you know, special situation like that. Um, so they, they, they obviously felt comfortable enough that if they had to go for two to win the game that that was going to be their go-to play call. And I'm not going to second-guess that now. Um, but I, it was it wasn't what I would have gone with, but I'm also not the offensive coordinator.
1: EJ, how big of a trooper is Mike that even though he has the poor sound quality, he just did like a five-minute just soliloquy right there? I mean, that's his M.O. That's the kind of guy he is. He's going to come through no matter what, no matter what the obstacle. Absolutely. (laughs) That's why we love you, you. Mike.
2: Thank you. Thank you, EJ. I appreciate it. Oh, no problem.
1: No problem, man. You know, EJ, let's go ahead and talk about the defense, though, in that game. And what are your thoughts on how this can be a springboard moving forward and also what did you see specifically that Jay Bateman was able to run against Clemson that really helped shut down their offense because they had their lowest totals in yards and points for quite a while I think ever since the the national championship game against Alabama so let's hear your thoughts on that man I
0: definitely think it's going to be a springboard this is the best defense that I've seen played at unc in a very long time and i mean that that was just my comments throughout the game and i'm like man like these guys really look good and and to me one of my conversation points this week has been the fact that we were three or four game, three or four plays uh i think from this not even being a not even being a decision or that being that close in the fourth quarter when they were driving when they initially went up by seven we had we had him dead to rights in the backfield We don't get them. They completed. They get a first down. And there were so many other plays just like that. So – yeah, on Saturday, and once you're reviewing the film, stuff like like it feels bad. It sucks to feel that way, but once you're watching and preparing, and when these coaches are meeting, this is this is encouraging because you look at this this far in the season. And one of the things that we talked about in our preseason podcast was how quick are these guys going to adjust to the system? How much of the defensive playbook are these guys going to be able to handle? And I'm starting to see a, a few more pressures come out. And one of the things that they were very successful with, were were pressures? I mean. They, they were dialed up right. I just think that there needs to be a little bit more tenacity from our guys when we're going there. I mean, you see Chaz made some big plays and some of those have been plays in the previous weeks where he missed. So I, I'm seeing constant improvement from all of our guys. And I, I just think what I'm really proud of is how we played against the run. Yeah, we gave up four yards per run, but it's, it's not like they kept were constantly gashing us with big, with big plays like they're more than capable of doing. So I, I think that our defense has improved every week, and I, I think that we're only maybe a, a game or two away from really seeing a, a very impressive uh, outing hey, we won the turnover battle. We gave ourselves the best chance to win on defense, and that's, that's all you can really ask. So I'm, uh, I'm definitely happy with what I saw on Saturday, and I'm, I'm encouraged by what, what this can propel them to for the rest of the season.
1: Were there any players in specific that stood out to you, EJ, in that game? Jeremiah
0: Gimmel he he was all over the field I mean and it's been this way this whole season this sophomore has really been leading this defense he just flies around Chaz Surratt, as I mentioned earlier he made a lot of plays that he kind of been missing I mean you can tell that he's in the right position where he needs to be he knows the defensive scheme I mean, but we are talking about a former quarterback. So I think that he's really getting used to the contact and the level of toughness that uh, he's going to have to to play with out there. So those, those two guys really stood out to me. And of course, uh strobe bringing back. I think that really, that was really a boost to the defense. He didn't show up huge on the stat line, but his presence there, uh, him setting the edge against the run and just his, his presence on the field in the locker room and being out there with the guys and being a leader. I definitely think that helped a lot too. So, those would be the ones I would say, the, the players on defense, i say, that stood out the most to me.
1: All right. And then, Mike, the offensive line also had pretty much their game of the season. What did you see them properly execute in, the, in this game that they might have been struggling with previously? And how do you think it will translate into future success?
2: Clemson's defensive line just reloads every single year and I would assume that you know all four of those starters they had are gonna have a shot at the NFL if they're not all drafted within the first three to you know, I'll call first four rounds most likely. I would say probably all four of those starters are gonna go somewhere around one through four, maybe one through five. So there's talent over there, just like there is every single year. Um and what I saw was Carolina's interior three in pass protection Holding their own and keeping a clean pocket for Sam to throw most of the day. I mean, of course, there was pressure and he got he got hit and he got hurried a few times, but for the most part, you know, I had the game streaming on my Hulu Live, um, my little Hulu Live app, and I would act. There were several plays that I actually stopped it and I rewound it and I watched it over and over and over again because I couldn't believe how clean and perfect the pocket was with absolutely no pressure. When Clemson tried to rush four, for the most part, they didn't get home. I thought that was absolutely remarkable, considering some of the, you know, some of the headaches we've seen in the last few weeks in terms of pass protection. You know, I've been saying now time and time again that, you know, once these guys get some more time together and they're playing with each other, they're, you know, alongside each other, they're going to get more comfortable, and they're going to be there's going to be there's going to be some cohesiveness developed there. And once you see that after once you see that same general offensive line unit for one, two, three games in a row some of those headaches and shortcomings are going to start going by the wayside just because they're going to feel comfortable playing next to each other. And they'll, there, there will be that familiarity. Well, it looks like some of that was coming together against Clemson. You know, I'm not, they didn't have four defensive linemen that were taking plays off. You know, what was happening was that Carolina was executing its pass protection schemes and the players individually were executing the technique that they've been taught, the way that it's been taught and the way that it's coached and the way that it's intended to be done. And I was, I was just extremely impressed. Charlie Heck was one that I think, you know, he's a senior. He's got all the preseason accolades. But I think one thing that gets lost is Heck was out there playing hurt. Um, And I I remember saying on the podcast last week with Jason and Tommy that if Charlie's got to play with a cast on his right hand as a left tackle, he might as well not play. Um, Well, Charlie did play with a cast on his right hand with thumb and forefinger, you know, left free to grasp. And everything else was bandaged up and casted up. And he may be my words. Uh, Charlie did an absolutely phenomenal job considering how I can't imagine how much pain he was in um, with a, with a broken or otherwise severely injured power hand his inside hand um, playing left tackle against what is most likely going to be an NFL draft pick across from him. And he had a great afternoon. He graded out from what I understand his highest pass protection grade all year so far. And, um, it really, he, he deserves a lot of credit there. He showed a lot of grit. And I think that, I think that attitude and that performance really permeated throughout the offensive line and may have given, may have given the entire unit a pick me up, um, and, and sort of kept them, kept them, you know, uh, uh, above the fold throughout the entire game. Just seeing, seeing their senior leader, uh, gritting through some pain and gritting through an injury, um, to to play in a game where they needed all hands on deck. Um, I was I was very impressed by Charlie and, and generally with the offensive line uh, in terms of pass protection.
1: All right, let's take a quick moment to talk about our sponsors at Giant T-Shirt and GiantT-Shirt.com. They are your place to go for Carolina gear. Basketball season is starting soon. Football season is in full swing. There's only three games left in Chapel Hill. So if you're going to be there, make sure that you swing by the giant t-shirt location on Franklin Street, where they have been in business for decades. They have the very best customer service, and they have everything that you could want the Tar Heel fan, and your family. They have the return of the MAC shirt. They have memorabilia. They have gifts, just anything. And don't forget, too, that if you are an Inside Carolina Premium subscriber, you get 10% off of your order either online at t-shirt.com or at Giant T-shirt at the location on Franklin Street there. So you can get that code from the Inside Carolina Premium Message Boards. That's Giant gianttshirt, shirtcom your place to go for Carolina gear. All right, guys, so let's talk a, a little bit about Playing within these schemes, because the Heels are five games into the season, it was a brand new offense, brand new defense. I think at this point, we have a pretty good idea of kind of the baseline of what Jay Bateman and Phil Longo are trying to run. So as far as the defense goes, EJ, from your perspective, from what you've seen so far, how do you think the players themselves are enjoying running that Bateman style defense?
0: Oh, I think they're enjoying it a lot. I mean, I, you can just see it with the guys up front. You can see it with the guys in the secondary. I mean, they get to move around a lot more. Uh, they're not just in coverage every play. They get a chance to get some pressures and and kind of get in the mix and 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 get in and, and make some big time plays that can that can really change the game. And you're seeing that from a lot of guys. So. And you really can tell the differences from from last year's team to this year's team. Like this bunch of guys looks like they look like they're having fun. They look like they're on a mission. The the leadership has stepped up, like we talked about in, uh, in in the beginning of the season who are going to be the leaders. And you can see that, that Jason Strobridge, Chad I feel like, and Aaron Crawford, they're, they're the guys that have stepped up and they're, and they're leading this defense and everyone else is following. I mean, and, and not only is it showing up on game field, it's showing up in the stat sheet, and it's just showing up when you hear the coaches talk about these guys. So I definitely think that they're having fun. I think they're adjusting. And I think that, at this point of the season, uh, one more game against Georgia Tech. I think coming out of, out of that, that game and then going to the bye week, I think we're going to see a, a, lot more, a lot more pressures, a lot more exotic looks from this defense as the players grasp it more. So um, I, I'm definitely encouraged by what I see, and I'm definitely glad that all the, the excitement from the, the offseason and Coach Brown bringing back is transitioned onto the field, and we're seeing guys that are playing their hearts out.
1: And then, Mike, as far as the offense, how do you think the players are grasping and executing what Phil Longo is asking them to do?
2: Yeah, I mean, what they've been dealing with so far, I would imagine, for the first few weeks has been a, a relatively abbreviated or watered-down game plan. Um, and as they get more and more comfortable with things, Longo will start introducing more uh, exotic concepts, more um, you know, more layered formations and play calls and things like that. Um, that will start getting worked into the game plan more and more as we move through the season. But, I mean, it looks like they are. I mean, we, we're not having an issue in terms of what looks like mental busts. You know, the first position group you think of is wide receivers, right? I mean, we're not – there aren't a lot of errant throws by Sam to our receivers, right? So there, most passes right now aren't falling incomplete because there was some miscommunication or misunderstanding of the route tree or the route combination on that specific play call. It's because we're dropping passes. Um, So that is just, that's just physical execution. That's not, those aren't mental errors in terms of not knowing what to do. They're mental errors in terms of focus and concentration. Offensive line is the same thing. You can tell the guys know the scheme. They understand the play call. They understand their responsibilities. Now it's just a matter of putting the knowledge to the physical execution, which is what they've been struggling with. And they still did in the run game for the most part, not for the most part, but in certain circumstances against Clemson, where on double teams they're having trouble getting off on linebackers and getting on the second level, um, you know, in, in their combination block responsibilities. But I did see a, a ton of improvement in that, which is one thing I've been griping about the entire season is our inability, ever since Polino went down and we had to shuffle the inside three, has been our inability to get off on double teams on the second level and really shore up some of those holes in the run game. I saw a better job of that against Clemson, but I still saw issues with that. So it's not necessarily a. Like I said, a, a, a concern that I have with mental execution—it's just physical execution at this point. They clearly know what they're doing, um, and Longo and and Mac Brown and that staff have done a very good job of giving them just enough um, so that they can digest what they're being—they can digest the game plan, they can digest the install every single week, and they can go out on Saturdays comfortably and execute it without at least what looks like from a, you know, from an outsider's perspective without having to think about it much. It doesn't look like these guys are spending a lot of time thinking about their assignments. They're, they're more, they're going out and they're just doing. Um, so that's, that, that's, that's very encouraging. And I would expect to see some more wrinkles and some more complications in our offices team get put in over the next couple of weeks because um, you know, whatever's been dumbed down and handed them at this point, they're clearly not drinking out of a fire hose. So, yeah I think they're fine. I think they're grasping it just fine, and i don't I don't have any complaints on that front. It's just physical execution that I'm taken issue with right now.
1: So let's go ahead and turn the focus now to the upcoming Georgia Tech game this Saturday. You know, we've been talking about the positives from the Clemson game. The team was riding really high after that emotionally. Mack Brown talked about it in his press conference that emotion is going to be something that the team has to really manage because the talent level is not there to just roll up on the field and win, even if the guys are a little bit low. You saw that against Wake Forest. You saw that against App State as well. So the defense EJ has been hearing about all the positives and everyone's been just kind of really talking about how good a job they did as a player. How would you keep your emotional level high going into a game in Atlanta against Georgia Tech, knowing that you're a 10 point favorite at this point?
0: It all depends on the attitude and the character of the players. You could have. The first option where the players say, oh, we played so great against the number one team in the country and they're reading their own press clippings and they say, well, we don't have to put as much effort into our preparation this week because, I mean, they have new coach there. They're switching quarterbacks up. They don't really, and they haven't really played any competition. We can kind of take a week off and really kind of have two bye weeks or They could approach it saying we are reading our own press clippings and we are frustrated from not beating Clemson, even though the way we played. So what we're going to do is we're going to prepare even harder this week and we're going to go out there and we're going to try our best to dominate this team. We're going to play physical, play fast, and we're going to do our best to dominate this team and put our team in the best position to win. I mean, after this game, if I'm going into a Georgia Tech team that's kind of down, definitely a down team this year. I'm trying to score some defensive touchdowns. I'm I'm trying to get sacks. I'm trying to do whatever I can to kind of get that sour taste out of my mouth. And that'd be a feeling I'd be chasing all year. And you have to have that mindset and say, hey, if we go out and we play this way, play this same brand of football and approach every team like they're the number one team in the country, we will eventually see these guys again. And that has to be the goal now. I mean, playing in the ACC championship game is not out of reach for these guys. If some, some absolutely amazing things have to happen and we pretty much have to play perfect every week but I'm just saying just for a sense of motivation and just for perspective of looking at the season so I hope they take the second route and kind of want to go out here and dominate these guys and put the effort into the preparation and don't take anything for granted Um and hopefully we can
1: see another great performance and see a dominating performance Saturday. And then as far as the offense goes Mike they've also gotten some praise but not as much as the defense so do you think that the offensive players' motivation and emotional levels, it could be impacted a little bit differently than the defense, and how do you think they can respond during this week of practice going into that game in Atlanta?
2: Well, I mean, from what I understand, Mac isn't exactly happy with the, the current attitude of practice and the current approach to preparation for Georgia Tech, and he's exactly right. The talent level is not there to just roll out a ball and go win a game. This is still the same team that won two games last year. Granted, we're seeing, what the, we're seeing the benefits of player development, um, at this point, right? This staff has done a great job of developing the talent, um, for the most part, that Larry Fedora brought in, and we're seeing that those guys can actually play. And what happens when you give talented athletes the tools to be successful? So that that that's a positive. The reality of what happened last weekend is, yeah, sure, we played great against the number one team in the country, who for. To be frank, with you know, to be frank with everybody, I think didn't take Carolina seriously for three quarters, you know, and then the fourth quarter came along and they realized, oh, we're not up by forty like we thought we'd be. We need start, we need to do something, and then started, you know, Clemson started looking like Clemson again for a couple of drives, um, albeit drives that were matched either in points or intensity by North Carolina. But the end result of that game was that like you still lost. Or, you, know, you played really good, but you lost. You know, and yes, we've all, we've lost a total of three games by only ten points, but we've also won only two games by what is it now six points or seven points total so that you know listen the margin of victory for us so far this season isn't isn't great enough in either of the two wins to where we can sit here and beat our chest and think that we can roll out there and just play now whether the press clippings are playing a role in offensive preparation and whether they're going to be a little more motivated than the defense will be I don't know I mean it, the only motivation they need is that they lost to Clemson and they should have won that game right now they've got three losses on their record, they've only played five games, right? So they have a losing record on the year, and those are three games they should have won. One of them was a, was a loss I predicted in the preseason, but it makes it no less embarrassing to Appalachian State, who, if you guys remember the the longest yard remake, Adam Sandler referred to Appy State as a tune-up game. Okay, that's still the same Appalachian State. Yeah, they're a good program. It's still the same Appalachian State, and you just lost to them. You also just lost to Wake Forest and got thumped at Wake Forest on national TV on Friday night a couple weeks before that. Right? and he just gave up a heartbreaker to the number one team in the country when he had a chance to win them. He didn't close out the game. So the reality is you lost three games this year. You've only won two. So that should be enough motivation to go in to Georgia Tech this weekend and roll these dudes. A team that just lost, with it 24-2? to 2? They just lost, Georgia Tech has lost at Temple. Listen, this is a team that you absolutely should steamroll, but if you walk in there like you think you own the place, you're going to get embarrassed. And then I think we have a lot of young guys on this team that don't necessarily – understand the headaches that we've had down in Atlanta at Georgia Tech. I, I mean, I never, I didn't win there. We played some close games there, but I didn't win at Georgia Tech. You know, it wasn't until Marquise Williams came along in that 2015 year that we finally won at Georgia Tech after, what are, what was it, 20 years or something like that. Georgia Tech is a tough place for Carolina to play for some reason, and you guys need to come correct or you're going to be 2-4. and 3-3 three and three is an entirely different outlook on the rest of the season than 2-4. and So that should be enough motivation in and of itself.
1: We'll get to y'all's memories of Georgia Tech a little bit towards the end of this podcast. Let's go ahead and take another commercial break, though, and when we get back, let's continue to talk about Georgia Tech. And we're back with the Inside Carolina podcast. John Siegler here with EJ Wilson and Mike Ingersoll. So EJ, let me ask you this uh, as far as defense goes. I mean, like we've said a couple times, Georgia Tech this season, they are very much a transition team. However, they are going to be motivated to beat Carolina. If you are, Jay Bateman, planning the defensive scheme here, of course the Heels are going to be aggressive. But how do you balance... Being maybe super aggressive to try to set a tone, which could open you up to giving up big plays versus kind of sitting back and then potentially letting Georgia Tech build momentum that way.
0: I don't think he needs to change anything and try to go out necessarily and make a statement with his play call, and I think that really needs to be put on the shoulders of the players. How how intensely are you going to go out here and execute the play calls that you're getting from Coach Bateman? Are you going to go out here and you're going to hit your gap, or are you going to try to hold up and and wait for a play to happen just because you know these guys aren't that good? And and I've been a part of teams that have kind of taken some teams for granted. It happened most of the times when we played Duke. We were sitting around saying, oh, they're not that good. We're going to do this and do that and making bets about who We're going to get the best stats to where we're looking at the film after the game and nobody's hitting their keys. Nobody's playing the the type of football that has made us successful to that point. So I don't think anything needs to be changed with the play call, because like you said, if he changes something and tries to be extra aggressive, I mean, the, all these kids are on scholarship. They're capable players. There's it's a capable coaching staff. they wouldn't have jobs coaching in the ACC if they didn't. So, they're going to be able to execute to check and and maybe see that we're being extra aggressive and and kind of catch us napping and, and hit a big play. So I think that the players just need to not take this team for granted. And if it comes out and we start to dominate, use this game as practice. Don't try to make a play, go out there and hit your gap. And you can see what, what can happen when you're playing someone tougher and you're not going to develop bad habits. These games are trap games. They're games where we can develop bad habits and, and we're, we're kind of talking about this like we're that much uh, record wise, like we're that much in that much better position in Georgia Tech when we're really not. But I do think that we're the mortality team at this point. And so I just hope that they go out there and they stick to their keys and, and nothing really changes. We need to play our brand of football. And that's the statement that we need to make that we're going to play our brand of football and we
1: can dominate teams. And then as far as offense goes, Mike, how would you kind of scheme against Georgia Tech? Because Buck Sanders wrote about it in his Buck Stops Here column that Georgia Tech has been leaking yards on the ground basically every single game. So if you're Phil Longo, do you kind of maybe go away from a little bit more of your passing philosophies and just try to run the ball over and over and over again? Or like EJ said, the defense should do. Do you just keep on rolling with your basic schemes at this point?
2: I think you... You use this as an opportunity to get good at your ground game. Um, it's also an opportunity to protect Sam Howell a little bit while Jace Reuter is getting healthy. You don't want Sam out there running around, taking a bunch of hits, you know, risking injury because right now our emergency quarterback is Chaz Surratt, and we need him on defense. I mean, let's call it what it is. He's Chaz was, was, a, was a hell of a high school quarterback. He's a, He is a hell of a college linebacker, and we need to keep him on that side of the ball. This will be an opportunity to get Javante Williams a bunch of carries, get Antonio Williams a bunch of carries and get Michael Carter a bunch of carries and let them kind of go out there as a three headed monster and just go do their thing and really capitalize and improve upon what has been so far this season, a fairly impressive running game when things are clicking right. Um, you know, against Miami and against South Carolina, I mean, we were gashing yards on the ground. Now obviously we had injuries in the offensive line and that, that made things a little more difficult for the next couple games. But, you know Clemson, we had some we had some impressive carries. You know we had some carries that you know didn't didn't net us anything or maybe netted us some negative yardage. But you know I saw us break break a few that looked pretty good. Um, and it, this would be a good test for our running backs, um, a good opportunity for them to get some extra carries and, and and kind of get their seasoned legs under them a little more, get them more experience and build some more confidence. It'll also be a chance for our offensive line to hopefully see some success in those areas that I've been talking about that they're struggling, primarily getting off on double teams. Um, and hitting hitting your assignments on the second level and watching the success that comes with that, right? So, you know, you, you hit your B on the backside of an inside zone, so your three technique to your middle linebacker, right? And you've got your backside guard and tackle. They hit that double team. They, it's crisp. It's clean. You get up on the second level. You seal that middle linebacker, and it just gashes on a cutback, and you go, oh, okay, I see how this works now, right? That happened to me. I remember that aha moment that I had when I played, to, you know, practice practiced it, run this double team. I couldn't get it down. I think this is stupid. There's gotta be a better way to do it. And then all of a sudden it would work one time perfectly the way it was designed, you know, in the playbook. It would work that way in a game and I would watch the run break and I'd go, Oh, okay, now I get it. Now I see what I gotta do. This is an opportunity for those you know, for our, our current offensive line to see some success in implementing the coaching that they're receiving and to understand a little better schematically what it is that we're trying to accomplish in the run game, this is this game is a perfect opportunity for that. So I think you'll see a lot more ground and pound until that fails. Um, maybe Georgia Tech comes out and they've got some master plan and they shut down the run game and we have to abandon that and turn the screens and sweeps and, and throwing the ball a bit more. But until Georgia Tech shows us they can that they can shut it down, we need to just be running the ball down our throat the whole game, controlling the clock and keeping bodies off of Sam Howell.
1: All right. So, next little bit of questions here are going to be a combination of y'all's memories of playing in Georgia Tech and a little bit more about the motivation topic. EJ, start with you. So, when you guys woke up on the game day morning, you're in the, the visitor's locker room. How do the guys get jacked up for that game? Like, who is leading the hype? Is it the individual leaders? Is it position by position? How specifically did that work when you guys would be in Atlanta?
0: It's kind of different by position group. I mean, coach coach Davis definitely didn't have any kind of protocol. Uh it, it was just more so whatever was comfortable so you weren't disturbing your teammates for the defensive line. We were more so uh just sitting in our lockers, towel over our head, listening to music, just really getting focused and we didn't really get in, get intense or want to expend a lot of energy in, until we got into warm up. So I mean, the motivation really is built up during the week and the motivation, the the main motivation comes from the speech that's given Friday night in the hotel. I mean, and Mike can speak to this. Coach Davis was really good at getting us pumped up and motivated and and having that one special thing, no matter who we're playing, it may be a team that is maybe his first time coaching about them, but he's going to find something in the history between that school and, uh, and UNC that's going to make this game relevant and a little bit of extra motivation. So, Um, As far as game day, though, it's kind of different for each each position group. We were a little more introspective. The linebackers, of course, were a little bit more rowdy group and so on and so on throughout the various position groups. But I think before – the guys should be motivated well before they step into that locker room, and well before they even get on the the bus to go to the hotel or or, or to go to the airport, rather. So, um, I, I definitely think they're going to be motivated. I mean, it doesn't it doesn't hurt that you just lost a game, uh, a very close game to the number one team in the country. They're going to be motivated to go out and play anybody. I feel like.
1: Now the Georgia Tech visitors locker room though EJ is it as dismal as some of them like do they do the the tactics of having like no AC in there what's that like It was just
0: terribly formatted I mean the whole team couldn't fit in there at the same time I mean it's terrible most most visiting <laughs> locker rooms are though but I mean yeah. and and that's why I I zoned it out so much like I I really can't remember too many specifics of of too many locker rooms honestly because I I I zoned it out so much that I'm just focused on what I need to do. I mean, my freshman year when I redshirted, of course, every locker room I went into that year, I could t- probably tell you about because, I mean, I knew I wasn't playing. I was kind of enjoying the trip, but it's it it's
1: terrible. Most, most of the way locker rooms are terrible. E- even right. ours was terrible for a time. <laughs> All right, Mike. Now, what about your thoughts as far as motivation? Do you recall anything from y'all's trips down to Atlanta? And then just what do you recall about the motivation on game day or prior to it?
2: I mean, I remember the steps leading into the locker room, EJ. You remember those? They had those steps you had to walk up to get into the locker room at Georgia Tech. and I always felt like I was going to fall down them.
0: They yeah, that I old, do remember. They had those, that old yeah.
2: that old astroturf that was running along them like carpet.
0: Oh um, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. I will say this about Georgia Tech's field. I've always said this about you know people ask me like, what are the nicest places you played and what are the coolest places you played, and I always tell them you know Lambeau Field was awesome and the old Georgia Dome is the old Georgia Dome. It's 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 fantastic. Our head stadium was cool, Lane Stadium on Thursday night, there's no place like it. But the absolute best grass I ever played on was at Georgia Tech. Um it was like, I mean I, it was like playing on carpet and it was real grass. It wasn't turf. Um it was the shortest, cleanest, greenest, perfect most perfect grass. So I'll give Georgia Tech credit there. Um that's it's pretty their 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 game field is is very well manicured and and, and I enjoyed It's a very fast track. I enjoyed playing on it from that perspective. Um, but I mean, I just I remember I remember Connor Bart you know lining up. I was on the field goal team for this. Um, Line up for a 50 yarder. I think it was a 51 yarder. He was he was trying to kick to win the game, back in 2000. Was this 2008? Um, it was 07 or 08. And uh, Michael Johnson, six foot seven. Michael Johnson was the jumper, and he blocked it. He tipped the kick, and it fell just short of the uh, just short of the upright. And uh, Connor walks past me, and he and he says real low. Um, that was good as soon as it left my foot. And we watched the film, and you watch the thing leave his foot, and you go, Yeah, if Michael Johnson hadn't had tipped that, I think we probably would have won that game. Connor would have hit a 60-yarder to win the game for sure. Um, it, it just it looked, it, it it went far enough after it was tipped that you thought, Yeah, that was that was probably that was that was definitely a game winner, and and they got just enough of it to lose. So that was that was a heartbreaker there. And then you know we played there again in 2009. So just, yeah, so 07 would have been that game with bars. And then uh, we played there again in 2009, and that's, um, you know, that's the year that uh, Derek Morgan won ACC Division Player of the Year. And he was lined up across from me for the whole game. And um, play, I played a relatively decent game. I always tell people that, that Derek was, was probably the best player I played against in college, um, and he just retired from the NFL. He had a very solid, consistent NFL career. He's also an extremely nice guy. Um, you know, that's I remember. I remember that. I also remember it starting to rain towards the end of the game. Um, I think it was pretty, pretty much out of hand at that point. Um, But um, yeah, I mean, I just, I have bad memories of Georgia Tech. We never won down there. So um, yeah, it's not, not, not a place I like revisiting.
1: What about the crowd, EJ? Because, you know, Georgia Tech is not exactly known for the rowdy football fan base, but they can get loud if needed how does that kind of help the team go out and perform? Because I know that the players have to love it. If the home side just goes death quiet and people start leaving at halftime.
0: Yeah. I mean, they they don't, it's not one of the rowdiest crowds I've ever played in front of, but when, when Georgia tech makes a big play or they're down and they're driving, something like that, they can get behind the team when they need to. But it's the the thing about their whole fan base and the, the one thing that really bothered me about Georgia Tech is that that car and whatever that whole situation is with that. I mean, <laughs> it's 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 cool. I get it. It's tradition. But that, that this kind of – I don't know why it bothered me so much because if we had something like that, i probably think it was cool. But, I mean – that's really what I think about when I think about their fan base, just that car. I mean, it makes a lot of noise when it needs to, but it's really just just their looking. Like, it's more so of a stale crowd. And I do notice that when we play in Atlanta, there is a lot of Carolina blue in the stands. So I do think that we'll have a solid uh, solid support there Saturday, especially with lo- looking at the attendance at home games this year and the way the crowd has, sound- has sounded at those games. I definitely think that we'll have a favorable crowd there Saturday. So uh, the Georgia Tech fans will have something to compete with, I hope.
1: So, Mike, if the Georgia Tech car breaks down on Saturday, we know that EJ does not need to turn his GPS information over to the police.
2: <laughs> Wouldn't be the first time EJ EJ cut the brake lines of
1: somebody's car. You know, like. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay, EJ. Statue illumination. EJ from Emporia.
2: Yeah, that's country justice. Also, everybody where he's from drives drives that same Model T because no one's got a new car.
1: Oh man. Dang, Mike's just laying into poor old EJ here. It's cool, and
0: poor is a, is a very talented place, man. We've got a lot yeah, of talent there.
1: Yeah, yes, and
0: I'm uh, so
2: I'm not necessarily laying into EJ. I'm laying into the other 299 people that came from his hometown.
0: <laughs> the disrespect.
1: Uh, I'm going to go ahead and cut it off at that point, guys. Thanks a lot for talking <laughs> with me. We'll meet up again next week. Yeah, All right, man. Thanks, John.